CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you. Welcome to Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Sports Plus. And the Sabres are back tonight. They play the Dallas Stars at Key Bank Center, the first of a four-game homestand for a team that is desperate for some victories if they want to remain not only in the playoff hunt, but I think relevant in the Western New York sports conversation. Uh, Sabres fans are either close to being done with these guys already if they aren't or haven't been. Um, This is the time when teams jump both skates first into the hockey season. Now that the bills are done, we're on the verge of the NFL season being done. And so sports fans are able to put their full attention towards the hockey team and not much going on there. They are 22, 23 and four, which actually, you know, every time I look at that during this break is surprising to me because their record to me feels worse than that. But it does make sense because they can't win one or more than two in a row. I almost just said they can't win one in a row. Uh, It feels like that sometimes. Uh, But um, they're just so back and forth. So I guess 22, 23, and four is appropriate. Um, Again, we're recording this prior to Tuesday night's game against the Stars, which is fine. This is a podcast where we're hitting the reset button. And uh, Jonah and I are going to talk about Don Granado, Kevin Adams, the buy or sell situation. Uh, there are some signs, though. It looks like they're waving the white flag in some regards. They are sending Devin Levi back to Rochester essentially to be permanent, or uh, I would say that's their intention. They hope it's permanent for the rest of the season. Eric Comrie is going to be the backup goaltender because there are um, uh, some favorable schedule circumstances forthcoming regarding the Sabres not playing uh, many back-to-backs and so UPL can carry the load or at least that's the philosophy um there have been some injuries in which the Sabres haven't been too aggressive in making trades or they're not even really calling up these young prospects that I think a lot of fans uh, were clamoring to see early in the season now it seems like everybody is just uh, shrugging their shoulders. Jonah, um, I guess just what are your general thoughts uh, on the Sabres as they come back from their bye week and the All-Star break? Well, to circle back to where you started, the time on the calendar coming out of the All-Star break, obviously the Bill season's over and the NFL season will be over after Sunday. Sabres starting a four-game homestand, 10 games out of a playoff spot but a game, a win away from being back at 500 and in that chase for the playoffs. And as February gets, as we get into February, it gets close to that meaningful games in March, meaningful games in March and April, if not being a playoff team, at least being a playoff contending team and pushing toward the end of the season. The Sabres are teetering on that edge. Some wins here on this homestand would get them back to that relevance and good feeling and good vibes and momentum towards potentially breaking their playoff drought, even if they don't get all the way there. And in a slow start or a slow coming out of the all-star break, not getting, you know, six, five, six, eight, seven, eight points out of this homestand would put them really in a tough spot as far as making the playoffs. And you're getting towards the trade deadline, March 3rd, if the Sabres fall further back from where they are, they're 10 points out, but they have to pass, I think, six teams in the wildcard standing. So they have to get hot. They have to be the hottest team in the NHL to make the playoffs. Um, broke it down in a piece 
uh, Sarah Holland and I over at WIVB.com answered four questions. And the Sabres basically have to play above 650 hockey, win two-thirds of their games to be at the point where they were last year, just on the edge of that playoff spot. And not that they can't do it, but that would be better than they played at all last season and even better better than they played this season and even better than they played last season in the hot finish to the season before. They have to be a better team than they have been at any point in this run under Don Granado. And with the recent injuries they've suffered, it's hard to see them doing that. But this opportunity here with a couple home games to start with four home games to start the all-star break, it could happen. It just has to happen. It has to start right away. I'm looking this up here. If you want to know what 650 hockey looks like, these are teams that have played 650 hockey this season. There are only seven of them in the league, uh, and one of them is right at 650. So I'm going to give you the teams, uh, the worst 650 team, the New York Rangers. Then it's the Edmonton Oilers, the Dallas Stars, the Florida Panthers, the Colorado Avalanche, the Winnipeg Jets, the Boston Bruins, and the Vancouver Canucks. They've been playing the type of hockey that the Sabres must play based on your analysis, which I, I concur with. Um, I'm not, Look, it can happen. Stranger things have happened. Uh, the Florida Panthers last year, I think, came out of nowhere and played that type of hockey down the stretch, got hot, and of course they got into the into the playoffs and and went far. Uh, but it certainly doesn't look like the Sabers even have that kind of appetite. Might be too damning of a word, too incriminating of a word. They just don't seem the team. Um, they, they there's been a malaise around this team all season. Uh, Matthew Fairburn did a really good story. Um, yesterday or the day before at The Athletic, in which he took an analytic look at the injury situation because those are the first words out of Don Granado's mouth on so many news conferences regarding what went wrong, why isn't this working, why is the, the power play not trending in the right direction. And he's always talking about, well, we're missing this guy, and this guy's not back, and this guy just got back. And he's and it's just been, as I like to call it, the thin line between reasons and excuses. And I wrote that story a month, month and a half ago regarding it just sounded like Don Granado was trotting out excuses, um, and it was getting to that point. And so Matthew Fairburn took a look at the injuries to see, at least from a – analytic standpoint, how much of an impact they've been having on the Sabres' disappointing season. And it doesn't look good for Don Granado or Kevin Adams, maybe even worse for Kevin Adams. Matthew Fairburn uh, uh, used a, a site called NHL Injury Viz, and the Sabres heading into tonight have lost 147 man games. Well, sounds like a lot, and it's a lot compared to last season where the Sabres had very good luck when it came to their injuries. 147, though, is 14th in the 32-team NHL. So you can take another look at it based on cap hit. So how important are these players? How much are you paying these players who've missed these 147 games? 15th in the NHL. And then there's the stat that a lot of uh, sports like to use, and it's it helps say, like, okay, so that's the financial aspect. Maybe these guys have been overpaid. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're good just because they're paid a lot. Um, there's called lost war wins above replacement. So here's your game games lost war. The Sabres are 16th mediocre. So teams deal with this. This is what the average NHL team deals with when it comes to injuries, both in a man game situation, the importance of these players, how much you're paying these players. So all the different variables that you could look at, the Sabres are middle of the pack when it comes to their injuries and that really reflects just, poorly on Granado and Adams. Uh, yeah, it, I don't think it reflects. Well, well, here's my disagreement. That they can't and overcome it and that they keep reiterate that they keep saying, this is the uh, problem, this is the problem, this is the problem. Well, they're no, they should be in the middle of the pack in the NHL, right? And they're not. They're not close. They're in the middle of the pack, about average as far as their injury luck, if you want to say that, and they're an average team. Well, I'm talking about record-wise, but pretty close to That's what I meant, record-wise, where they are in the wise. standings. Correct. Now, there's one particular with that. It doesn't jump all the way up, but if you just break it down by 
forward group and the cap hit and the games that they've lost, they're top 10. They're ninth in the league there. So they, and if you really, if you're covering the team or you're watching the team day to day, as many fans do, the difference between last year, last year, they had a ton of injuries on defense and it, and they had a lot of the early part of the season where they didn't have their full complimented defensemen. They were missing Matias Samuelson for a third of the season and had a losing record when he was not in the game. End of the season, Rasmus Dahlin was banged up. He wasn't either out of the lineup or playing as well as he had in the first half of the season. This year, they've been very healthy defensively and also have more defensemen in the mix to throw out there. They've been relatively healthy in goaltending compared to other teams and where they were last year, but they've had a lot of injuries to the forwards, and they haven't had a forward knocked out for the season or missed a long period of time aside from Jack Quinn missing the first 31 games and now being out potentially half or more of the 34 games remaining. Other than that, it's been shorter-term injuries, but Tage Thompson, Alex Tuck, Jeff Skinner all getting injured in succession. I think they played about half of their games without their three top-line guys together. They played all these games without Jack Quinn. They've had various points of injuries to Kyle Poso, Zemgus Gergensen. I don't think it totally lets Don Granato off the hook, but I think Don Granato is being real and genuine and accurate in describing that they've had a run of injuries to the forward group that have prevented the offense from playing to its full potential. And if you break the Sabres down statistically, they're a little bit better on defense and a little bit better goaltending. They're worse on the power play and they're worse just overall in scoring than they were a year ago. I think injuries is a valid excuse for that and also a reason. I mean, I I think it's both. And, you know, I do think it indicts Kevin Adams a little bit in that the Sabres are lacking depth and they have more depth than they've had in previous seasons as far as NHL quality players and bottom of the roster and guys they can call up and the fringe moves they've made to have more players training camp. You know, they had a few players that were too good to cut where in years past, they hadn't quite had that. They're still lacking depth on the top lines and the top six forwards, the top four defensemen, number one, overall goaltender UPL has kind of emerged as that, but they really don't have a reliable backup at this point. If he gets hurt and, you know, he could slide back to not being as good as he's been the first half of the season. So when they lose a key player, they don't have the depth lower in the lineup to move up and replace that player. And they've been chasing it all year with having very few. They did have this a little bit recently, but very few games where all of their best players were in the lineup at the same time and being able to play their best hockey. And that's and a lot of teams. With Jack Quinn in the lineup. And it's a lot of teams. But with this team, um, you know, they've underachieved in terms of declaring that the window was open and saying they were going to be a playoff team and the expectation that this was playoffs or bust. But in terms of their youth and skill and experience and talent, plateauing from last season with the injuries that they've had at the positions they've had and how it's affected their goal production is an underachievement, but I think it's a baseline. It's a plateau. I don't believe it's really a big regression or a team going in the wrong direction. It's just a team that hasn't developed at the same rate that it developed a year ago while getting younger. It's it's almost a full year younger in average age than the roster was a year ago. Yeah. Um, I think the youth is an interesting point. We've had this discussion off air regarding Don Granado and his reputation as a development coach. And I believe, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you made the point of there are some young players who still can benefit from Don Granado's, um, reputation or his uh his acumen i should say it's not just reputation his acumen of getting these guys where they need to go i don't know if you yeah, want to elaborate on that absolutely. before i, I mean, make my that, next my next it, point atl rookie zach benson who's played here the whole season and is now probably moving up into jack quinn's role on the second line and playing on the power play uh, they have more youth in the lineup really than they did to start the season depending on who the backup goalie is and, and what the lineup looks like night to night as you mentioned, they have prospects in Rochester that a lot of fans want to see called up. They have a player, Lucas Rusek, who's not a young I think guy, they did want to see him called guy. up. Not so much anymore because they're all well, kind of slumping. Well, there's fans that think, and from the perspective of they might soon be mathematically out of the playoff chase, you probably should get your young players more experience if you can. And also, but what I mean, what I mean too is producing players. Right, right. At the beginning of the season, I think there was this belief that, you know, that, that there were players in Rochester who could be those, uh, the spackle, 
that if there was an injury, uh, an injury or somebody uh, gets hurt for the long term, you can bring up somebody from Rochester and the Sabres are going to be fine. That was their depth. And I think that the Sabres themselves have gotten enough look that these guys aren't ready to be NHL depth yet. And so that, again, I think lends itself to the Sabres overvaluing what they had uh, and thinking that they could get along without Zach Benson. They knew that they weren't going to have him for a while, or not uh, Zach Benson, but Jack Quinn, I'm sorry. They knew they weren't going to have Jack Quinn for the first chunk of the season, but they did nothing to replace him in the lineup. Uh, the guys in Rochester weren't ready to come up and fulfill that role. The guys who are the natural third and fourth line guys just can't do it. Uh, and so I think they misplayed their hand in, in many ways. Um, and I guess my point regarding, you know, with Zach Benson, it's too hyperbolic for me to say that there's always going to be a Zach Benson because he's unusual in that he's in the NHL at such a young age. There's not always going to be a 18 or 19 year old in your lineup. Um, but there's always going to be the young player who you can look at and say, boy, it's going to, he needs to be developed. It's going to be nice if we had get him developed at some point, you need a coach who's not developing and is saying it's time for us to flip the gear and become a playoff team. And that's what the Sabres were supposed to do this year. And they have a staff that has never done it. Don Granado, um, Matt Ellis, the other coaches on the staff with the exception uh, of the goaltenders coach, uh, has never coached an NHL playoff game. Uh, they've never been behind the bench for an NHL game. And in fact, I'd have to go back. I don't even know what the AHL, they have a lot of uh, ECHL playoff experience for, and from a long time ago, um, but they don't have the experience. They don't have NHL experience in general, uh, but yet, and since we I brought up this point uh, a handful of podcasts ago, the LA Kings have fired Todd McClellan. That now makes... Don Granado, the seventh longest tenured NHL coach. And that's behind guys like Cooper, Bedner, Sullivan, um, guys who've won Stanley Cups, guys who go to the playoffs, Lindy Ruff, the winning, the winningest coach without a Stanley Cup. So you have guys who win are in these roles. And then there's Don Granado, who doesn't seem close again. Um, and if he got there, I'm unsure he would know what to do. Yeah, well, I think you make excellent points, and I do agree with them completely in spirit. But where I differ a little bit is that I don't think the Sabres are there yet from an organization and a roster standpoint. And they could very well get there very soon in the offseason. I think there's a lot of evaluations that need to be made about Don Granato's coaching tenure, the body of work he has in these three full seasons and an interim period before that his systems, his structures, his staff. Maybe there's changes that need to be made on his staff on the bench. Maybe there's a wholesale change that needs to be made coaching-wise. But I think the Sabres need to arrive there from a roster and an age of the roster and development standpoint first with moves they might be making in the offseason or at the trade deadline, even if it maybe doesn't make total sense this year. And then – truly evaluate whether Don Granato is the right coach for the next phase of the franchise that some people believe was to arrive this season. It hasn't arrived. I still think it will get there probably with the talent that they have in the system on the roster and in the pipeline. And there's a case to be made that Don Granato still is the best coach for this team going into next year. They could still be the youngest team in the NHL next year, depending on the moves that they make or don't make. If you're putting some of these Rochester players on the roster next year in place of much older players, Kyler Poso, Eric Johnson, Zemgus Gergensen, that are probably not coming back next year. And if they're still betting on youth and betting on development with the current crop of players, just only younger and faster and more skilled and in some cases smaller forwards, then they're still going – ahead with the same organizational philosophy and coaching and development and maybe a change should be made but i don't you know you, you got to make the change overall holistically with everything and not just fire the coach and put somebody else in there and if i make a quick point on the youth of this team where they are they're younger than they were last year they're even younger by an average age standpoint of when they were in jack eichel's rookie year or the second year with jack eichel uh, they are not just the youngest team in the league, the youngest team in the league by a significant margin. And of the 10 youngest teams, there's five worst teams in hockey make up that group, half of that group. 
And the only team that's in playoff position is Philadelphia, which is having a good year. They did make a coaching change. John Tortorella has had the impact that some people believe a new coach might have on the Sabres and get them to be a winning program and, and teach better habits and different systems and different structures. And it's very fair if that evaluation is made in the offseason and a new direction for this group and this team. But I don't think at this point it makes any sense or it's deserved to do it in season. All of that sounds good. Uh, all the different things that you mentioned regarding uh, the evolution that the team could uh, experience during the offseason, uh, the cycling through of older players, uh, the added year of maturity, whatever offseason moves can be made, uh, trades, uh, free agent acquisitions, etc. But so much of all of those things require foresight and effective foresight, highly effective foresight. And this organization has not shown much foresight. They have not shown that they have that uh, the propensity to see what's coming and prepare for it, uh, whether it be at the trade deadline last year, the idea that they were within striking distance of the playoffs, they came so close to making it, but seemed to take their foot off the off the accelerator towards the end of the season, and then shrug their shoulders at the idea that they missed out. What what so, a missed opportunity? Ma ha ha! That's it wasn't a missed opportunity. We're getting better. And then here they come and not, not to have the foresight that they called themselves a playoff team when they've shown nothing that resembles a playoff team to not have the foresight to replace Jack Quinn, to not have the foresight regarding Devin Levi, particularly at the start of the season to make him the workhorse rookie goaltender out of the gates and really kind of rocked his confidence a little bit. Uh, and now he's in Rochester permanently, which you can view or you can rationalize as a positive move because UPL advanced and you, I think a lot of people would say that Devin Levi should be in the AHL to begin with. Well, okay. Well, if that's your point, then the Sabres lacked foresight and how they handled all of that, the entire situation, they lacked the foresight in then getting a reasonable backup because Eric Comrie has shown that he ain't it. Um, there's so many, so so, I almost got caught between so much and so many. So I said, so money. Uh, there are so many examples of how this organization lacks foresight and all of those things for them to be um, effectual uh, to help the team develop and get from uh a team on the rise or a team that, you know, you're looking on the horizon all the time to a team that gets to the horizon and gets over that, uh, over the horizon. Um, that just, we haven't seen any examples of it. The foresight's not there. Yeah, I would agree. Where do you think they go from here? Cause that, I mean, they're like going to have to, I guess just to wrap management. that up, just to wrap that up in a bow, they are going to have to, Dazzle us with moves that they have not made yet through however many years it's been. What's it been? Five? Uh, however many years it's been of, of, uh, <laughs> I get, I keep getting caught between words in my mind. I almost said Don Adams, which would be funny. I would like to see Don Adams in the Sabres organization. He of, uh, Maxwell smart of the get smart show, Don Adams, rest in peace. Uh, but Don Granado and Kevin Adams, um, they are going to have to make, they are going to, huh? Fourth, this would be the fourth season with Kevin Adams. The four, okay. Well, they're going to have to make several out of character moves, moves that we haven't seen yet. Have they just been waiting? Have they just been, has this all been part of their master plan that they are going to, it's like the, the concept of, uh, you know, football fans when they say, oh, the offense isn't going great here in week 14 because they're saving stuff for the playoffs. No, no. Uh, they've been trying their best. Uh, yeah, and, they have they have they been handcuffed in some way? I mean, maybe maybe that the fans should root for that the idea that they've been handcuffed in some way. And at some point the the handcuffs are going to come off from Terry Pagula and say, okay, boys, do all the things you need to do. They always talk about how they are free to do whatever they want. And this is what they've come up with. 22, 23, and four coming out of the all-star break, uh, and 13th in the Eastern Conference in point percentage. Well, you raise a very interesting question. They haven't, they didn't make a big move at last year's trade deadline. 
they made free agent acquisitions but didn't make a big free agent acquisition or spend all of their cap room last offseason. They still, I believe, lead the NHL in cap room. At, you know, Cap Friendly here says they have more than $8 million in cap space. They have the money to they had the money to sign Patrick Kane. They could have outbid for him. You know, there's different reasons why Patrick Kane went to Detroit, but I think if Buffalo comes over the top with more money than any teams offer him, that probably changes his decision. They didn't um, – they still have $8 million in cap room that they could use here at the trade deadline, but what are you doing that for? That has to be a player that helps you in the future and not just a rental to try to make the playoffs because they're so – their playoff chances are less than 10%, as low as 5% on some of these projections. They do, they'll have even more cap space, even with the extensions that they've given Rasmus Dahlin and Owen Power and potentially maybe having to re-sign KC Middlestat. They're still going to have this large block of potential max player close to it, cap space. Maybe they can use that on multiple players. Maybe, maybe they can sign a couple Taylor Halls. Uh, even though Taylor Hall, I think he didn't score a goal. He only had one goal in that signing. But that type of signing could still be made. But they have not done that yet. And the question is, are they not doing that simply because of the money they're saving or budgeting? I don't think that makes a lot of sense because it's not a lot of cash dollars for what the overall cost of running a franchise, especially an ownership group that's making money off the NFL as well. I don't know why you'd really hamstring yourself year after year at that point. It seems like they're waiting. They're waiting until the right moment to strike on the right player, the right group of players. And also, they're identifying their own core and seeing how many of these guys they have to pay. At some point, I think you have to add to that. You can't just assume that everybody's going to develop into these great players. What's to identify? Them. As we, as you mentioned, as you mentioned, they haven't made enough changes. This is this this is essentially the same team as last year, and they know these guys. What 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 is there to left to identify? They should the well, the, the, the I, these people should have been identified. Six months ago, eight months well, ago, ten months ago. Process. They identified Tage Thompson as a guy to give a big long-term extension. They identified Dylan Cousins. And it's not hard to identify the guys you draft in the top ten, but that takes a few in the priorities. Who do you do that first? Owen Power, Rasmus Dahlin. Now they have a decision to make on Casey Middlestead, who's been their best player, I think should have been their all-star this season. How much money do you pay him? How important is he to the future of the franchise? Peyton Cribs is a restricted free agent. Yoki Haru, Jacob Bryson, there's different younger players they have to make decisions on. And the time is has arrived to possibly a contract extension for J.J. Paterka, the leading goal scorer on the team. Jack Quinn, his injury maybe pushes that timeline back, but he's eligible to be, you know, to get a bigger extension, a new contract next offseason and going beyond that. So they could spend all of their cap room on players that they already have, but then that's still the draft and develop and build from within strategy that didn't work out this year. Maybe it could work still going forward. And, soon, but what you're saying, if you're saying they lack foresight and the management hasn't, they haven't shown done, it unless I'm, I'm, unless the only, re, the only reason either they don't have it or they have made moves. They are, they're holding, like you say, they're holding back. They're, they're handcuffed. I guess there's a you know, handcuffed would be the more nefarious way, meaning they have moves they want to make and they can't. But if they have foresight, or if if you're saying that they're holding back, then where's the where's the foresight in that? Like I'm not sure. Again, now I'm quibbling over over semantics. But anyway, I, no, I don't think they've shown it. Maybe there's a reason that they haven't made these moves. Is it because Terry Pagula wants to save money? Um, they would never admit that, but I don't I don't know that that's true i mean they they always tr trip over themselves to talk about how they have all these resources right I don't, I don't really think that's true although on paper sometimes it looks that way i think it's more preserving the cap space and preserving the salary structure and not using it on the wrong player or using it too soon what they really lacked is urgency a lot of people wanted to see this at the trade deadline a year ago i agreed i thought they were wise to maybe wait and not make a big move and not trade away their future last year because I thought they were a little ahead of a schedule. I thought the offseason and going into the season was a better opportunity to accelerate the team's timeline and maybe bulletproof the roster, if you will, for making a playoff run. They didn't do that. Now it's looking like maybe, as you said, it's too late. 
They, they should have done it earlier on and they didn't do it. And there's still the opportunity to do that in the off season for next year. But the reason I bring it up, I'm asking you, I mean, the criticism implies that the management hasn't done its job so far and there should maybe be a change in the structure. And I would argue that, or my point would be, I think the Sabres need a different GM and a different coach in order to be in the playoffs and be a competitive team once they get to the playoffs. But I don't go so far to say that that can't be Kevin Adams and that can't be Don Granato. But both of them in their jobs need to do their jobs differently at some point going forward in order for the Sabres to get to that point. And if you don't believe they can do that, then you need different people in there. Okay, so maybe, and this is a nuance, as you bring up here, that maybe gets into the conversation a little more differently or it helped, but that's, that's the beauty of conversation. That's why, why we converse. Or the uh, bastardized word that uh, I see people uh, use uh, increasingly over the years, conversate. Um, I don't, I'm not going to give Don Granado and Kevin Adams enough credit for this, but I do suppose it's possible that they have a gear that they're waiting to shift into, that we are now in development mode. And at some point we pull the trigger and we become playoff mode, like Sean McDermott and the, and the signage you used to see around one bills drive. Right. Um, what I'm trying to think of what the first signage was, and then playoff it was caliber. playoff caliber. Then it was championship caliber. And then it's pictures of the Lombardi trophy in the, uh, in the, in the facility. Um, yeah, things shift. Pebble Beach caliber. Right. <laughs> right. Pro, uh, Pro Bowl caliber. Um, which, by the way, I've made a conscious decision. I, unless it is a, an obscene number or we're talking about pre 2010, or I'll go back and look at the actual year when the, the, the Pro Bowl, um, selection process really changed. But I think about 2010 when David Garrard was a, a pro bowl quarterback because six other quarterbacks uh, backed out before he did, I'm going to stop using pro bowls as a measure of um, accolade. I just, it, it is, it's pointless. And for both ways, number one, there are people who are in the pro bowl who don't deserve it. And then there are people who, I mean, you can't, would you go ever go and look at Josh Allen's career and say, he's only been to one pro bowl. You know, no, you wouldn't because he passes on the Pro Bowl. He'd rather go golf. But anyway, I'm going to stop using for current players the Pro Bowl as any kind of designation when I'm writing a story to say Pro Bowl tight end Dawson Knox. I have done it, and now it's just getting to the point where I've, I need to decide I'm not doing it anymore. All pro, fine. Seven-time Pro Bowler, okay, something like that. But just, no, not, not going to use the Pro Bowl. Anyways, um. I am not going to give Don Granado and Kevin Adams enough credit to think that they are capable of having, again, you need tremendous foresight and, and genius to be able to say, all right, and, and to pull it off. Right now we're in development mode, but we are going to flip, we're going to get to that gear where we just become a playoff team and we're going to coach these guys different. And I'm going to approach the organizational uh, makeup of this uh, team different and the roster and the you know we're going to go out and get this player and that player uh i i don't have any faith in these guys that they that they are capable of it uh and i don't even know that that's what they're trying to do but again that's probably about as best case scenario as you could hope for as a sabers fan that if these guys stick around that they have a master plan of some kind um where they've just been waiting they've just been waiting for their moment and they just haven't they their their tremendous foresight doesn't doesn't hasn't told them that it's time yet. Yeah, well, let me ask you this: Do you think because you mentioned you know the financials and the Pagula ownership? Do you think the fact that both Kevin Adams and Don Granado got contract extensions at the start right before last season factors into their job security and their future and who's going to be the general manager and the coach six months from now? It's hard. It's hard to say. I, it has more than zero percent impact on Terry Pagula's decision, but he's made several decisions in the past regarding his coach and his general manager of just 
telling him to take a hike regardless of how many years are on the contract. He's done it on, with both of his teams. Now, maybe he's gotten to a fatigue level. Uh, maybe he's he's changed his mind and says, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm tired of coaching searches. It's It wears me out. Uh, the fact that Kim Pagula isn't involved anymore, um, maybe that has taken some of the uh, drive in him to, to go through coaching changes and to, you know, his support staff and whoever's going to help him run this stuff. And maybe he's, you know, has thrown his hands up to some degree and says, you know, you guys figure it out. Um, but at least in his past, he has shown no uh, hesitation uh, in, in lighting a contract on fire, uh, regardless of how much time's left on it. But Hard to say. I don't know. I don't, I really don't have any insight on that regarding, you know, people who are close to Pagula or uh, they, I, you know, the, the general sense. So, you know, I had sources tell me that there was 0% chance uh, Sean McDermott was going to get fired when they were six and six, even though people were calling for his head, those same sources uh, while they are more bills oriented, uh, but those same sources um, tell me that Don Granado is, is safe also. So again, maybe we're just all, you know, wasting our breath talking about it, but I think it's worth talking out as to what faith you want to have in the organization or what, where, what side you want to be on regarding Don Granado and Sean McDermott. Um, I, you know, and I don't want to combine the conversation, but it is interesting um, because I, I, again, I would have to go through and take a look at each person's opinion, but there is a sentiment out there that Sean McDermott's not good enough and he has the greatest winning percentage in Bill's history. Now, of course that's regular season and he hasn't gotten to the Super Bowl. Uh, he's only been to one AFC championship game. Um, there have been the boneheaded, uh, moments of 13 seconds and the, the nine 11 hijackers gaff and all kinds of stuff and people. And I, I get the opinion. I could even get to a point where it's like, I, I don't agree with it, but I can understand it that there's a fatigue of, we want to take the next step and Patrick Mahomes keeps getting in the way. Uh, and why can't we beat Patrick Mahomes or why can't we at least be the Joe Burrow team that gets past him one year? Um, we, we, we lived through the Tom Brady era. My God, we, we don't want a Patrick Mahomes era. Let's find a way. And then you have the hockey coach who has been around for, who's in his fourth season. I think it's a four and a half. He had a half a season. I don't know when you looked it up, whatever it is, I should know this off the top of my head, but the seventh most tenured NHL coach, uh, and who has never tasted the playoffs, not only with the Sabres, but in the NHL ever, his entire staff ever. Um, and the idea of, well, they'll figure it out or let's, let's give them more time. I, I think that, um, you know, I think that rel I think that there is probably a apathy around the hockey team that I've never, I mean, it's a shame because when I was covering the Sabres and the years before when Bud Bailey and Bucky Gleason and Jim Kelly and uh, Dick Johnston, I mean, they always made the playoffs and there would be a time where they, maybe they, they didn't win a series for an X number of years, which was their slump for a long time. But to be going through this, through the tank, through all the different embarrassments all of the top 10 draft picks and to still be where they are. Uh, and, and then to, and then to be in a position to say, well, let's, you know, maybe, maybe Granado and Adams, they'll figure it out eventually. I think some of that stems from, we're just tired. We're just tired of another guy coming in maybe. And I think that there is some, uh, there's some attitude uh, around the organization too, of just uh, we like these guys. They're nice to us. And, uh, hell, if we're going to lose, let's at least lose with these guys and not risk bringing in another Ralph Kruger or, uh, um, or Phil Housley, you know, who just rubs us the wrong way and makes it difficult to work around here. And, you know, we just, well, if this is what it's going to be, at least let's do it with Don and Kevin. We like them. You said a new guy. I think 
the Sabres do need organizationally need a new guy. I believe it's someone or woman. I don't really expect this is going to happen, but it, it would be someone in the role of president of hockey operations or a czar, if you will, as many people would have said in the past and that the Sabres seem to reject and move away from that model to make the top-down evaluation of the general manager and the scouts and the roster building. Because in some ways, I mean, Kevin Adams has drafted very well. They've developed this great prospect pool and young players on the roster. Uh, if you're evaluating in that silo, uh, you give them an, an excellent grade. But evaluating the organization, what they've done well, what they've done not so well, the coaching and the roster and each player and how it all fits together. And then if that person believes that Kevin Adams and Don Granado and the different star players and key players on this team are the right individuals to move forward with, go right ahead because you would trust their opinion. And if they want to make changes, let that person make the changes that they see fit and recalibrate the franchise for this next era when they should be a playoff contending team because they have enough good players, I believe, and enough good young players that they really should develop into that type of team. Maybe they don't go all the way to the Stanley Cup, but a winning team that makes the playoffs one of these years. What they do need also, and I don't know if the president of hockey operations does this, it could, depending on how big of a name it is, but they do need a marquee player acquisition or a new coach or a famous Hall of Fame coach coming in as president of hockey operations or even a former Sabre with a big name as that position, general manager, something like that. One of those pieces going into next season in order to sell that season and this team to the fan base. I don't think they can do the run it back, fringe moves, develop from within. Ooh, you're going to love these prospects and really be able to sell tickets and sell excitement going into next season. They're not selling tickets now. Well, so they just don't want to sell tickets. I mean, I feel like you got to do something. Well, I know what I'm saying is, is that there's going to be no, it, they're going to have to do something massive to get people to want to buy tickets heading into next season. I mean, there, this is, this is well beyond, you're going to have to prove it to me level. I mean, that's, I mean, let's say shit. I mean, what's, well, they what's could trade for a Sidney Crosby. Okay. Yeah. Get out, trade for Alex Ovechkin. Um, I'd rather have Crosby. I think it's possible with his age. <laughs> just, and, I was know. just joining in on your fun. I, I, uh, yeah. I mean, f hell. Yeah, I guess. Um, maybe you sell some, but I, that's the, you're not selling out. I mean, we're not getting to a point where, I mean, there'd be a curiosity factor, I guess. Um, speaking of not selling out, Canisius basketball made some moves. Um, and we talked about it on the podcast. We don't talk about Canisius a lot, but lo and behold, we talk about Canisius basketball. And a few days later, there's an announcement regarding Xavier Long and Todd Stavesky being done for the season. We were just talking about it last week. Uh, I don't know. What are these? What are these? Uh, do, you, do you just want to elaborate on it since we were, we were talking about it? And then there it happened. Um, any more big four talk we wanted to get into before we uh, before we change gears? We well, do Canisius, have the foresight to change gears around here. Canisius does play at Niagara tonight. So depending on when you listen to this podcast, that game might be going on or over with, or if you're early, uh, you know, we're a few hours before tip off here. Um, it might be a stretch to say it ruins Canisius' season. There's also Joe Jones, the, the 6'11 big man that played at Park School from Buffalo that was in that release and won't be coming back this season. The way I understood it, he was a lot less likely to be recovered from his injury and able to play. And there there was more gray area with Taj Stavesky and Xavier Long, whether they would or wouldn't play. How big of a recruit was Joe Jones, though? Well, Joe Jones, who is Greg Oden's half-brother, has was a somewhat big recruit coming out of prep school after he had left Park School. He has had injury troubles at Georgia State and where he was previously that I think made him, when they got him in the transfer portal this time around, less of the recruit that it would have been before, but he's 6'11", and he was a good player when he was younger and he was healthy, and had he been able to stay healthy or avoid getting hurt, he got hurt three minutes into the first game of the season. Um, a healthy Joe Jones would have been a really nice addition to a Canisius team that has maybe the best big man in the MAC and Frank Mitchell, and if he was backed up by a 6'11", Joe Jones, that would be 
that's part of the reason why Canisius was considered one of the better teams in the MAC going into the season because they had talent on the perimeter, they had good players, they had good size. Uh, the people doing these votings probably didn't know Frank Mitchell was going to be as good as he was, but maybe they knew that they had six eleven Joe Jones coming in from being a touted recruit and being a uh, potentially good college player early in his career. But you know, it's as I mentioned last week, it's a situation where you know they don't have two of their best players and three key players for the duration of the season. It makes it not impossible, but it seems it it feels impossible that they could have their best season and a good season and a winning season. So in a way, it ruins what could have been an excellent season for Canisius. And they've found ways to win games and play. They have capable players in the lineup without them, but they're below 500 and probably not going to go very far in the MAC tournament. And Reggie Witherspoon in the last year of his contract and fourth losing season in the past five years. It just doesn't seem like a situation where Canisius is going to go back to him and go forward with a new contract there. So it's it's a breaking point, if you will, of this Canisius season that could have earned Reggie a new contract and a longer stay um, doesn't come about. And maybe there's I think there's some people, Canisius fans and Canisius alumni that have wanted to change prior to this and might be excited to see that there will be a new coach and a coaching search and a new direction for the program. From an overall Western New York standpoint, I think more people wanted to see Canisius win this year, uh, Reggie Witherspoon continue on, come back. and It would have been interesting. I mean, the Metro Atlantic just hasn't been – it just hasn't been relevant since – well, I mean, Jim Barron and Joe Mahalik, right? Well, Niagara – With either program. Niagara's top four in the league this year, and they were a top four team last year. They're well, I guess I mean in the conversation of just Western New York sports. I don't mean within the conference necessarily, but it, yeah, it would, it would have been nice to see to see either of these programs make a run at. I, I guess really, you really you're on the radar around here if you can f- at least flirt with a tournament bid, at least be in the conversation, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Heading and into your been- conference tournament. Yeah, and in the MAC, the MAC is pretty wide open. If you're in the top half of the MAC, teams lower seeded than that, I think, have won it or at least gotten to the final. If you're in the top seed of the MAC, especially now, because the last couple of years, Iona was Rick Patino as the coach, was really tough to beat. Um, it's not that way at the top right now. Quinnipiac is, they won 10 in a row in the, in the conference, and they're the best team in the league. They lost their first game at Canisius. Canisius without Todd Stefeski and Xavier Long in the lineup in December. So, there's parity in that league. And if you're a good team, I guess you shouldn't really rule out Kanisha's chances of making a Cinderella run in Springfield for the Mac tournament, but it just doesn't feel that way. And even, you know, that's really been where they've fallen short with good teams is realizing their potential of making a run in the Mac tournament. Niagara has the horses maybe to do that with the way they're playing at the same time. We're recording this at four o'clock. The game tips at seven. I think Kanisha's has, not an excellent chance because they're the road team, but as good of a chance as any team on the road in conference play of winning this game at Niagara tonight, of maybe going into the MAC tournament playing better than Niagara was as they were a year ago. But at the end of the season, I think they're going to have more losses than wins and not have gone far enough in the conference tournament and flirted with March Madness, as you were saying, to have considered this a successful season. Jonah, anything else you want to get to before we wrap it up? A big high school girls basketball game I'll be attending tomorrow. Number one, local Cardinal O'Hara versus number two, West New York Star Point. That'll be a big game at O'Hara. How do those games in, do in terms of crowds? Is are there? Do you notice casual basketball fans showing up to girls basketball in Western New York? Meaning non-parents and family. Do you see people going to see this game like you do sometimes with uh, football games and and boys basketball games around here? Yeah, can, I and think can you tell? Biggest, really, I think the biggest girls games will get a crowded gym comparable to some of the biggest boys games. It's probably more teams and more games involved on the boys' side. And a lot depends on the gym and the size of the school and the people, you know. But I, I think that 
for a girls game in West New York that, you know, I think that you will have to get there a tad early to get a seat for this game, O'Hara against Star Point. And I've seen games, O'Hara, you know, there's this game isn't maybe the ultimate example of this, but there's game, there's division one players and high level division one players coming out of West New York on the girls' side every year for the past four or five years. There's been marquee games of seeing Madison Francis from Lancaster against Kyla Hayes, the, the best player on the O'Hara team that have been, you know, marquee events. So you actually might see that a little more often on the girls' side of a full gym because this star player is playing against that star player. As far as teams and the student followings and things like that, probably get a little bit more of that in the boys' games. Right. More people go to Buff State to watch the boys' games than the girls by a significant number. Jonah, thanks for this. And thanks for everybody uh, out there who watches and listens to Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK. Please subscribe, like comment, whatever it takes uh, to show that you're out there uh, and uh, enjoying the program. We're grateful for you. And uh, we'll try to do one maybe again later this week. We'll talk about the Super Bowl, any uh, bills updates uh, to their coaching staff. Uh, the staff is pretty much, rounded up with the exception of who's going to be the quarterback's coach, which is always an intriguing hire. I'm sure Joe Brady and Josh Allen are going to have a lot of say in that, but uh, anyways, later in the week, we'll maybe have some, something to discuss in that regard. Uh, until then, thank you for being out there and for supporting the podcast. The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions.